Uh, good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'll have the great privilege of uh, leading us in God's Word this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 16. We're spending our time through this, uh, this month of January uh, looking at different uh, psalms. Uh, psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, and this is an injection into our prayer life together as the people of God. I'm just going to cough. Hopefully it doesn't come too loud through the thing. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, kids in the congregation, we do love having you guys here. I've got two questions for you, uh, and I want you to listen out for the things that I'm going to ask you throughout the sermon. All right? So there's two things. The first one is how many birthday candles are going to be on your cake this year? I want you to yell it out as loud as you can for us so we know exactly how old you're going to turn this year. All right? Is all the kids ready? All right. How many candles are on your cake this year? Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. And second question, this is also going to come up in the sermon, so I'm just giving you, you know, a few little things to grab a hold of. Would you prefer a birthday cake or, if your parents would let you, a bowl of Nutri-Grain? That's your options. That's all you can choose. You have to yell out one or the other, birthday cake or bowl of Nutri-Grain. All right, you guys ready to yell it out? Ready? One, two, three. Uh, too hard to tell, actually. It just sounded blah, blah, blah. That's all I heard. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 16. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it from there. Let's read Psalm 16 together. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father, Please be generous to us with your spirit this morning. Might your spirit lead us in all the truth that we might get understanding of this psalm, but Father, also that our hearts' affections would be set aflame, that we would delight to know you and to know the blessings that we have in you. Father, please do this work by your spirit amongst us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
can remember someone uh, once pointing out to me the fact uh, that birthday cakes are actually quite a strange phenomenon. It's one of those things that once you've seen it, you're never, not see it, you're never gonna not see it again. I'm sorry to bestow that blessing upon you today. But they kind of said this, told me the story, of, imagine an alien who'd never seen anything on earth before coming down to a birthday party with us and just observing what it is that we do. There's this baked pile of flour, milk and egg that we put some fire on top of. We sing this song. That's not a song with any particular great depth or anything. It's a fairly plain song. And then we, we blow out that fire and then we eat it. How strange is that? It's a funny ritual, isn't it? But it's a ritual we all participate in and it's, it's actually a pretty important one. It's a moment that we all turn our attention to the one person whose birthday it is. We wish them all well on their birthday. We celebrate and mark the occasion of another year passed for them. And this year, every single one of us is going to have an extra candle on their cake. Every single one of us. And, and actually, to be frank, we will all be one year closer to meeting our maker, the maker of heaven and earth. And you have to make a decision. I, uh, I said, it, you know, I like to think my jokes are funny, but I said something that I thought was kind of funny uh, the changeover of this of last year into this year, I turned to my uh, to Meredith, my wife, and I said, "Hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to keep you this year." It was it was tongue in cheek, of course, uh, but there was a grain of truth in what I was saying, isn't there? You are deciding to be the person you are going to be this year. To be a friend to certain people, to be a spouse to be a child, to be a parent, to be an employee or an employer. And to think that you're not deciding to just roll into the exact same thing as last year, that is deciding. God this morning, through Psalm 16, wants each one of us to decide to make a decision. He wants you to decide, if you are a Christian already, he wants you to, to decide again to be a Christian, to grab a hold of your faith in the Lord Jesus afresh. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that for whatever reason we've all kind of stopped being Christians uh, and that we somehow need to become Christian again. That's not what I'm saying. But I guess, just like a marriage, you stay married no matter how thoughtfully or thoughtlessly you live out your wedding vows. God wants us, as his people, to wholeheartedly, joyfully, resolutely take a hold of that which is ours in Christ Jesus. To step into it in fullness. There are also people amongst us who are still considering the Christian faith, but haven't yet decided and made the decision, which is great. We, we love having people 
at different points of the journey here amongst us. We want to help people take steps closer to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And just to clarify up front, God doesn't want you to rush into thoughtlessly making a decision to follow Christ, if that's you here this morning. He doesn't want you to just close your eyes and follow the crowd in making that decision. But he does want you to decide. And with a fair degree of urgency. There will be another candle on the cake this year. We are each one year closer to meeting our maker. Don't linger in the analysis paralysis, the never-ending phase of going back and forth. Make a decision. Psalm 16 that we've just read out this morning wants to make it clear what it means to be a Christian. And then after that, it wants to, like a jeweler, it wants to display before you the treasures, the gems of life with God. It's a come, come and grab a hold of your faith. There are treasures, there are gems here to grab a hold of. It's for us who call GBC home, who have, who have had a faith in the Lord Jesus for a year, many years, but also for those of us who are still deciding. Psalm 16 is going to show us what it means to be a Christian. And then it's going to display to us these three precious treasures of the Christian faith. Also that we would grab a hold of them with two hands. So let's begin. We begin in the first two verses. They say this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Here is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a refugee who's found refuge. Verse 1, in you I take refuge. When you become a Christian, a lot actually doesn't change. Geographically, you remain a citizen probably of the same country. Relationally, a part of the same family. But spiritually, you move to another universe. A new universe that has, verse 2, a new Lord. It's a universe where there is only one throne and there is only one who sits on it. It's a kingdom where you must personally confess that the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord God, have a look there at verse 2, is my Lord. Is your Lord. Becoming a Christian is spiritual immigration where you come and submit yourself to a new king. But you might be sitting there saying, well, that's a bit backwards, isn't it? We live in Australia. Sure, we're part of the Commonwealth, uh, but the best thing actually about being Australia is that we kind of have these kings and queens on the other side of the pond. They can't actually make decisions for me here in Australia. We love our freedom. I can do what I want when I want. Listen, 
sooner or later, you're going to have to realise that something is ruling your life. We're going to get to this in more detail a little bit later in the psalm, but for now, you have to realise that the question isn't whether you're being ruled, but what are you being ruled by? Whether it's a bank balance, your own personal freedom, or the God who created heaven and earth, something is on the throne of your heart. And becoming a Christian is simply saying that the Lord God, he is the one who will rule my life. He is the one who I will submit myself to. He can call the shots. He'll set the direction I'll follow. So yes, becoming a Christian means submitting to a new king, a new ruler. But it also comes with a realisation that if God is not the ruler of your life, there is nothing better on offer. Every other ruler that could possibly sit on the throne of your life will be an absolute tyrant. It will enslave you and sap you of all joy. David's words at the end of verse 2. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. So Christians are refugees, those who know that they're in need, homeless, looking for a home. But they're those who have found refuge, and they've found refuge in a king who is good. That's what it means to be a Christian. Different countries have different customs, different ways of communicating and so on. To show the sole of your foot to another person in an Arab country is highly insulting. Slurping your food in China is a compliment to the chef. Uh, to arrive on time to a dinner party in Venezuela, Venezuela, you're looked upon as being way too greedy. What is it that's distinctive about life in God's kingdom? The psalm presents to us three things. The first one, delight in the people. We're looking at verse 3 and it says this, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Verse 3 always surprises me. Hear those words again at the end of verse 3. He says, in whom is all my delight. They seem to be words used to describe God. You, you could say, God, in you is all my delight. But, but David here is saying that about the, the saints, the people in the land that he, who are the redeemed people of God. 
they are the ones in whom David finds joy and delight. I'm sure you'll know this by experience, but you can have an absolute day from hell, but you can endure through that because the people you're coming home to at the end of the day love you and care for you and have your back. Whether it's a parent, a housemate, a spouse, whatever it is, Because although your day might be an absolute horror show, you know you're going to leave at the end of the day. And you know who you're returning to. You're returning home. And we know this principle to be true because in the reverse, it's much, much worse. We can have the best day But if the people we're returning home to have no interest in serving you or loving you or caring for you, that is an absolute horror. But we can endure through a lot if we know that the people at home have our back. And in this way, your church is your home. The redeemed people of God. Those who live under King Jesus as their Lord, living in community together. You can go all week in battle, fighting the desires of your flesh, enduring through suffering, persevering in evangelism, standing firm in the faith, though Satan prowls around like a lion. You can do all that week long, Because you you know that you are part of the people of God. Together with the other elders, uh, we read 2 Timothy together. uh, And we're going to continue reading that uh, for a period of time at the start of this year. It's a book in the New Testament of the Bible. And there was a sentence or two, I think it was two verses, that made me audibly chuckle to myself. Have a listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says this You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes It wasn't the funny names that made me laugh actually but it was the fact that Paul he's a guy who is actively engaged in spreading the gospel making disciples planting churches and it describes there that a whole continent, the whole continent of Asia, had turned away from him. That does not sound fun. In fact, that that sounds brutal, humiliating, soul-crushing. But have a look at verse 16. He says this, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chains. Paul found refreshment. He found delight in those who shared in the gospel with him. That's what we can be for one another. As the redeemed people of God, we can go all week 
not a soul embraces the Christian faith that we might live amongst. And yet, among the people of God, we can find refreshment. We can find delight for our souls. Because we know we share in the Lord Jesus. We share in submitting to him and enjoying the blessings and delights that he offers us. So number one, delight in the people. Number two, a beautiful inheritance. And this is really fleshing out more of what was said in verse two, the declaration that I have no good apart from you. Verse four to six is really just getting us to understand this, that if we have God, we have everything. We can have absolutely nothing else. The world could be crumbling around us. But if we have God, we have everything. Hear those words again in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Just to give some background, uh, in Israel, in the time of the Old Testament, your land was everything. Your land represented your standing in society. It was your reputation before others. It was, uh, you know, what produced food for you during the week. And it was the place where your family lived. Uh, it was the inheritance that you handed on to your next generation. In a very real sense, your land was your life. But then, of course, there were the descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. They were the select few who would carry out the office of priest in the nation of Israel. They were the ones responsible for keeping the temple and administrating, administrating its different functions. Here are the words of the Lord to Aaron when he was first establishing this office. It comes from Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. It says this, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. I am your portion and your inheritance. See, these people didn't get an allotment of land in the nation of Israel, and it was for one reason. God was their portion. God was their inheritance. So the Levitical priesthood acts something like a pointer to the true riches of every Israelite. Every Christian, in fact, and that's this, that the greatest blessing we get from God is God. The greatest blessing we get from God is God. 
That's what David sees. And that's what we must see. We must conclude this together with David like he does there in verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. We get God. There's an ad that's been playing on TV for years. Uh, It's getting a bit old, uh, but that's okay. It's those old super industry uh, funds, industry super fund ads. I want, can you remember those ads that were on TV? I wonder if, I, I'm not sure if they're still playing now. What it's doing is it's comparing the super accounts of two different people. You know, there's uh, two people are the same age, same income, same starting balance, same contributions. Ten years ago, Sally swapped to an industry super fund. Josh didn't. Totally lame, full of cheese, but actually quite clear in showing the difference in the super fund choices that they've made. And it's that comparison, which is exactly what's going on there in verse 4 through 6. See, on the one hand, by taking refuge in the Lord, by submitting to him as your king, you get everything. You get God, a beautiful inheritance, an eternity with the people of God, delighting in in the creator of heaven and earth. As verse 11 puts it, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. But on the other hand, let me read the start of verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Running after anything else putting anything else at all in the place of God, what's the result? Your sorrows shall multiply. Here's a quote I read the other day. Make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. Make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. The very thing you give yourself to, the very thing you give yourself to living for, it will make you its slave. Make money your God, you will never have enough of it. You will never be content again for a day in your life. It's ruling you rather than you ruling it. And the same is true for whatever you worship. Make a romantic relationship your God, and it will plague you like the devil. Make a career your God, and it will plague you like the devil. Make family your God, and it will plague you like the devil. Make the perfect retirement plan your God and it will plague you like the devil. Make alcohol your God and it will plague you like the devil. And they will never satisfy. They will never satisfy. 
it's a little bit tricky uh, to hear that and then to think, oh, when you reflect on your own life, what is it, what is it that I think is... I feel tempted to turn to and live for as the ruler of my life instead of God? It's, a, it's actually a tricky question. It takes a little bit of, little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of understanding who you are and how you operate. And so I thought I would offer three questions that might help you diagnose your heart, that might help you reflect on your life and think, what, what is it that I'm tempted to turn to and worship that's not God? What is your driving purpose in life? What is it that energizes you more than anything else that you're willing to sacrifice other things for in order to give to this one thing? Let me, let me put it a slightly different way. What, if taken away from you, would leave you feeling depressed and unmotivated? What is your driving purpose in life? And if you find that it's anything else other than God, that is something that you are turning to and putting in the place of God rather than God himself. What causes you to get angry when someone gets in the way? What causes you to get angry when someone else gets in the way? And just to drill down on that a little bit more, what are they getting in the way of? It's quite a confronting diagnostic question. A way to press that in could be to think, what was the, when was the last time you got angry? What was it you were getting angry at? Was it that you couldn't get that you wanted to get? And you might just find what it is that you're tempted to worship other than God. What do you turn to for escape? What are you tempted to turn to when the stresses of life creep up and up and up? Where do you find yourself turning to? These are helpful questions to ask yourself, not to ask for the person sitting next to you or the person you live with, but to ask of yourself. Someone has described it this way. Why go on making mud pies in the slum when an offer of a holiday by the sea is on offer? There's these little things that we find ourselves being distracted by. That's like making little castles in the mud in a slum. When the offer of a holiday by the beach is on offer, why do we settle for so little? It's also been said that the antidote, the thing, the cure 
for a heart that's engaged in false worship is true worship. It's recognizing that these other gods that we might be tempted to chase after actually multiply our sorrows. They actually diminish our joy. And realizing, on the other hand, that in the Lord, verse 11, is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. And so that's the invitation. When you find yourself turning to other things, worshipping other things other than the maker of heaven and earth, the response isn't despair. The, the response is, oh, here's another opportunity to turn to the Lord, to realize that there is actually life on offer. There is something better that I can grab a hold of. You don't have to stay here. A delight in the people. A beautiful inheritance. And we're just going to do this last one quickly. Personal growth. It's coming up there in verse 7 and 8. It says these words, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I'm, I'm sure you've heard the slogan of Nutrigrain before, you only get out what you put in. Pretty sure Nutrigrain's full of sugar. I uh, don't know how they're getting away with uh, claiming that it's a healthy cereal for you, but I don't know. But the slogan picks up exactly what's going on here in verse 7. <coughs> How is it that David can say that the Lord gives him counsel at night time? How is that possible? Well, it's because you only get out what you put in. David has lived his life on a rich diet of God's word. He's allowed the word of God to dwell richly in his heart. And the outcome of that has been that he's received wise counsel from the Lord even at night. When his Think ancient times, his scrolls that contain the Bible are on the other side of the palace. He's a king. He still has the word of God in his mind, in his heart. And here's the point for us. In the kingdom of God, God is interested only in seeing where we will be, not leaving us where we are. God is not interested in leaving you where you are. But he abundantly provides you with everything you need. He gives you his word. He's poured out his spirit amongst us so that we would grow. We would receive counsel, wise counsel from the Lord, that we would grow in righteousness. 
Let's bring this to a close. Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. It's hard to tell if this is true or not, but there's a thought that runs through, through my mind on this verse. I wonder if David is getting to the end of his life when he writes this psalm. And he sees that his body, his heart, and his mind are heading in the same direction that he sees everyone else in the country that he rules goes. He's starting to see the decay in his body. He's starting to see that although God had promised that him and his offspring would be a ruler on the throne forever, that David's actually dying. He will cease to exist. And yet he holds on to the promise that there will one day be someone in his line, an offspring of his, whom death will not touch. In fact, that will defeat death instead. That's why he might write these words. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It's in the sermon that Peter, one of the apostles, uh, preached right at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. In Peter's sermon, he holds out Jesus. The Lord Jesus, who's the one who did not see corruption. Though he died, he rose again. And, Jesus, and Peter holds him out to people and calls people to grab a hold of Jesus Trust in him. Submit yourself to him. And in him you will find life. You're going to have another candle on your birthday cake this year. Time is not stopping. Every day we make a decision who we're going to be. Psalm 16 is held out to us to say, don't go anywhere else. There are rich treasures here. Grab a hold of it. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, grab a hold of it. Walk into it in fullness. Delight in the gifts that he's given. And if you're sitting amongst us here and you've not yet given yourself to the Lord Jesus, first realize that you are giving yourself to something. And if it's not Jesus, it will multiply your sorrows. But find in Jesus a path of life. These words from verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you sent your son to be a servant, to save those who needed saving, to provide refuge for refugees. Help us to see the treasures the precious treasures that are on offer to us in the Lord Jesus. 
ultimately help us to see that because of Jesus, we can have you. We can know you, we can love you, we can be loved by you. And so, Father, please make these things clear to us by the power of your Spirit. Amen.